G'day Sports by Fry fam, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. I'm back on a Friday covering everything fantasy from an AFL, NBA and yes, even a bit of NFL fantasy talk. Uh, there's probably not a ton of NFL stuff to talk about at the moment. If you're not a football fan, we've reached what they call the conference championship, so the last four games, the preliminary finals for all you footy heads out there. So I'm going to probably talk a little bit about some winners for the weekend and make some picks. I'll uh, definitely have a cheeky wager on a couple of the games. I'm probably going to keep that trend up when footy kicks off as well, when the AFL's back in action. So that'll be a feature of each Fantasy Friday. But obviously, as the name suggests, this will be fantasy orientated. I'm going to talk about a couple of rookies and a little bit about the AFL fantasy forwards because the forward line, I think, is going to be very hard to nail this year. There's not as much value as years past, but that's certainly a talking point. Then I'm going to run around the NBA, talk about some blokes who are worth adding in your fantasy league, some dudes you might want to drop, and then players you might want to watch. And then, like I said, finally close with a little bit of NFL talk. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. All right, let's start with the biggest topic that everyone wants covered, AFL Fantasy Rookies. For the past two years, heading into my third year now, I've covered the rookies, or cash cows as they're called, for the Dream Team Talk Boys, and I'm doing the same thing again in 2021. Just over a week ago, I dropped a little bit of a watch list for some of the more mainstream rooks that you might want to follow and keep an eye on over the preseason. I think... (laughs) Once again, we're probably going to have to pay up for a lot of the relevant guys. There's not a ton of 170k guys or basement price rookies that are filtering through. Granted, we're still two months away from the start of the season, so it's impossible to predict who's going to be playing round one. But I do like the value of a lot of the draftees from the most previous drafts. So I think a lot of them are going to be really big fantasy factors this year. First bloke, first cab off the rank that I want to cover is Archie Perkins from the Bombers. Now, he's priced at 254 grand mid forward, and of the three top 10 picks that Essendon used, I definitely rate Perkins as the pick of the bunch fantasy wise. They also took two twin towers in Nick Cox and Zach Reed, but I don't really think, you know, tall timber doesn't thrive from a fantasy perspective, but Perkins is a guy that kind of oozes that X factor, he's an explosive versatile mid slash forward and I think Essendon will hand him a jersey early on in the season. He'll have his work cut out for him to try and get some minutes in the engine room. Essendon's boasting guys like McGrath, Dill Scheel, Zach Merritt, I'm sure I'm forgetting some others but Perk obviously like I've said can impact the game either inside 50 or as a midfielder and I think if he's able to play as a bit of a dynamic half forward he'll definitely get the footy in his hands quite a bit. He's someone that if he's picked in round one he'll definitely be in my starting fantasy team, and I'd probably suggest you follow suit. Regardless of if he's picked or not, I will definitely be selecting Braden Campbell from the Swans this year. 262 uh, mid-forward. He's a little bit dearer. I think from memory he was picked five. They matched a bid for him after Logan McDonald from memory. Anyway, it's irrelevant. He averaged 91 from four NAB League games back in 2019. Didn't get to play a ton of footy last year, like most of the draft hopefuls, but he was one of the stars of the show in the NAB All-Stars Future Game, which was played before the 2019 Grand Final. He kicked three goals in that game, only from 14 touches, but 
He really displayed his line-breaking ability, which kind of was one of his calling cards as a junior. He's a super athlete. I've already heard and seen a little bit of stuff filtering through from the Swans about how excited they are to give him a gig and to see what he can do when the AFL season does roll around. History suggests that his job security is a little bit iffy. John Longmire never really loves to give rookies a long leash from a fantasy perspective, but I think Campbell could be one that bucks the trend. He might just slot into their side from the first couple of rounds. We didn't get to see Dill Stevens do that last year, so it'll be interesting. Maybe they want to play a couple of NEFL games, or I don't even know how the uh, second-tier competition is going to work over East uh, this season. But either way, if Campbell's picked for the Swans, I'll definitely be having him in my fantasy side, and I think you should follow suit. Let's stick with the Swans. Another relevant player, this time a 170k defender, Will Gould. Last year, I thought this bloke, I think I ranked him as the third best defensive rookie in my preseason rookie guide, so maybe I don't know as much as I think. But Gould is one player that I think if he gets the opportunity, he'll become a staple of Sydney's back six. He averaged 73 from his 15 Sanford games before he got drafted in 2019. And then didn't get to play at all last year. Wasn't able to get an AFL debut. And then obviously the second uh, level of competition wasn't really up and running. I don't know. Well, I don't have fantasy numbers from it. He may have played a couple of games here or there. But this season, he's primed to slot into your back line. Even if he is an emergency at 170k, you can afford to take that punt. And I think, again, there is a little bit of hesitance whether Gould will be able to play regular games. And he didn't get to play at all last year. So... I think that the big-bodied swan will get a call-up this year. There's no guarantees, obviously, but if he's picked, then he should definitely be at least on your bench. One of, if not the most popular rookie at the moment, is Will Phillips from the Kangaroos. A lot of people are talking him up as the next big fantasy thing. He was teammates in that Oakley Chargers team that boasted guys like Matty Rao, Jamari Hagen, Noah Anderson. I'll keep, I could keep going, but... You get my drift. He's currently primed to slot into North's midfield. And under John Noble, they hopefully will be going with a little bit of a pivot and a different uh, philosophy at North. There's a couple of youngsters that a lot of people look at their lot, got their eyes on from a fantasy perspective. And I reckon Will Phillips will be the most picked rookie when round one does roll around. He averaged 22 touches from the NAB, his NAB League season in 2019. And that was when he was a what they call bottom ager. So he wasn't... Uh, as in the draft age, so he still had another year in the junior system. So pretty impressive numbers from a bloke that's played with some pretty elite competition already. I think with them getting Brent Harvey to give him his jersey, it's clear that they have big things expected for Will Phillips. And from a fantasy perspective, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the best rookie in 2021. Will Phillips' teammate Tommy Powell is also turning some heads. He put up some monstrous numbers in the uh, Sample under 18 comp. Last year, priced at 246, the North Melbourne didn't let him slip past uh, pick 13. So I don't know how much they can both succeed from a fantasy perspective, Phillips and Powell, that is. But he is currently, Powell, in over 25% of teams. And I reckon that the young midfielder will build himself into a, round, into a uh, gig throughout the season. Might not get named round run. I think a lot of people will hope be hoping he does, myself included. But... I think Phillips is the best pick out of the duo at the moment. Again, if the Kangaroos turn their hands to a lot of young guns and they decide to really force the issue on ushering in a new era 
at North Melbourne, then maybe both of them will get an opportunity. And after averaging 118 from 15 Sandville games last year, I wouldn't be surprised if Tommy Powell shone as soon as he got to the next level. He did average 33 disposals from those games, albeit against under-18 competition, but I think Tom Powell will be a factor in fantasy. I just have a hunch that he'll have to wait a couple of weeks to earn his debut. Last but not least, I want to talk about Jamara Eugle Hagen. If you want to go through the entire list of cash cows that I dropped, you can find that at sportsbyfry.com. But Jamara Eugle Hagen is an interesting one. A lot of people are scared by his 270k price tag because he is a key forward. And again, as I said at the lead off, talking about those Essendon boys, traditionally, bigger dudes don't score as well from a fantasy perspective. I can understand why there's doubts around Jamara Eugle Hagen, but... I think with the silver service he's probably going to get from that elite Bulldogs midfield, he does warrant picking at 270k. He had some pretty breathtaking performances in his final couple of games in the NAB League. I remember, again, playing with Matty Rowell and Anderson and some of those stars. In a prelim, he kicked four goals almost in the first half and kind of won the game off his own boot. And the prestigious talent is obviously going to shine in a Bulldogs jersey if they hand him a debut early in the year. I can't imagine a scenario where he's not on the field in round one. And even though, like I've said, he is a big dude, he'll have some down performances, might only average in the high 50s to 60, I still think he can do that at AFL level, which, given his price tag, means he's going to make you money. Again, if you want to whiz through all the AFL fantasy rookies, you can check out the article that I dropped. But I'm going to turn my attention to some basketball now. The Lakers and Bucks have just tipped off their game, so... It's all important for NBA coaches and NBA fantasy managers out there to hit the waiver wire hard, and there's a couple of blokes that have really piqued my interest in the last couple of days. I'm going to start with Jeremy Lamb from the Pacers. Now, Jeremy Lamb hadn't played before yesterday for Indiana for the entire season, was dealing with some injury issues, but he has now already nearly doubled his ownership percentage. He was hovering around 4% last time I looked, but now he's up to 10.7. He had 10 points in his return game for the Pacers, so didn't exactly set the world on fire, but he's going to have a ton of opportunity in an Indiana uniform, at least for the next couple of months. Obviously, TJ Warren is out indefinitely, having suffered a pretty nasty foot injury. The Pacers expect him to return before the end of the regular season, but there's no guarantees. And the similar thing could be said with Karis LeVert. Obviously, he got traded to Indiana in the James Harden, Victor Oladipo blockbuster, and then undergoing his physical, found a mass on his kidney. So the Pacers have drawn a line through him indefinitely, and I'll talk a little bit about him later, but I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play again this season. So that opens up a huge opportunity for Jeremy Lamb. I do like the looks of Justin Holiday as well at the Pacers, but Lamb, he's shown that he can be a bit of a fantasy factor in the past. Probably not worth dumping a really solid player for him. I mean, I don't think Lamb's going to come out there and set the world on fire. And it depends a little bit on the size of your league because Aaron Holiday, uh, not Aaron Holiday, the other one, Justin Holiday, has actually been playing pretty well and getting a lot of minutes with those other wing players out. Now that Lamb's back in the rotation, though, I reckon that he's someone to keep an eye on. And if you're in desperate need of a guy at the shooting guard small forward spot, pounce on him. Next up, we've got DeAndre Jordan. Now, if you need a centre, stop listening to this and go and add him right now because he's already up to 45% ownership and his numbers are only going to keep increasing. Now that Jared Allen's gone, DeAndre Jordan is really the lone guy 
for Brooklyn. Obviously, they're probably not finished adjusting their roster and making some tweaks. There might be a couple of other big men that arrive, but right now, Jordan is thriving as Brooklyn's big man. He, since James Harden has joined the team, has only missed three shots and is leading the league at 79.5% from the field. So those digits alone make him worth adding, but I really think that Jordan is kind of, he probably needs another person to support him and he can be the starter, but he's not a scrub by any means. His free throw numbers have obviously scared people off in the past, but he gets plenty of boards and blocks. He's looking like, I've watched a couple of Brooklyn games so far, and he really does look engaged and like he wants to contribute for this team. The same probably couldn't be said last year. He was a bit all over the shop, but now that they've got the big three in Kyrie, James, and Kevin Durant, I think that you can pretty much lock DeAndre Jordan as the fourth member of that starting five. So... He's had a double-double against the Bucks. He nearly had a double-double uh, a couple of games before that, so I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on to average somewhere near 10 and 10 and keeps shooting around the 70% mark. So obviously, with uh, those type of digits, you should snap him up quickly. Last bloke that you might want to consider adding is Lou Dort from the Oklahoma City Thunder. At the moment, sitting in 31% of teams, he's starting to round out into a really impactful player in the NBA. I watched him yesterday against the Nuggets, and he only played 25, 26 minutes, but still dropped 20 in that game. A couple of them were you know, late junk time threes or when the Nuggets had the game handily won, but... Dort is definitely starting to develop into a player that matters from a fantasy perspective. He scored 20 in each of his last two games, but you really want to get him for his defensive upside. He had six steals in one of those games, and obviously as he keeps taking strides offensively, that's only going to be a bonus if he can put up a game with five threes or whatever. Shoots pretty solid clip from both the floor and the free throw line, but again, from a defensive standpoint, he's a huge, huge factor. So I think that... Lou Dort is worth snapping up. If I had to pick out of him and Jeremy Lamb, I would definitely take Dort. But again, being in 31% of teams means that he might not be available on your waiver wire, so you might have to settle for adding someone like Jeremy Lamb instead. So, if you're going to make some room on your roster for those blokes, who should you drop? The first bloke I'm picking is Dante DiVincenzo. I understand he's a starting player on the Milwaukee Bucks, and he sounds like a good name, and he's not a flashy player, but you can definitely notice him out there. But I was shocked to see that he's still sitting in 68% of fantasy teams. His season averages of 10 points, 4 rebounds, and 2.5 and assists don't really get me excited of him having an impact for the rest of the 2021 season. I mean, I could be proved wrong. He had a game a couple of games ago where he had nearly 10 rebounds, and he always seems to pitch in with a couple of steals and threes, etc. But Surely there's some better players out there on your waiver wire. Personally, if I was choosing between DiVincenzo and Lamb, I would want Jeremy Lamb. But Dante isn't going to have the ball a ton in his hands and get a lot of touches with guys like Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, obviously Giannis. I really think from a fantasy perspective, you can go ahead and let DiVincenzo walk. Another player who really, really needs to be added to waiver wires instantly if he's in your fantasy side, that is Hassan Whiteside. Again, surprisingly, he's still in nearly 40% of teams, and I think you can give up on the Hassan Whiteside experiment. He's probably not going to get a lot of game time for Sacramento. He's currently out with a hip injury anyway, but he's only averaging 12 minutes on the year. Rashawn Holmes has really taken a step up into that big man role as their starter in Sacto, and he's looked great on the court for them. And I think Marvin Bagley will surprise and actually put up some decent numbers and carve out a bit more of a niche 
for the Kings. So that pretty much leaves no big-time minutes for Hassan Whiteside. And again, he's hurt now. He's averaging just 12 minutes a game. So if you're one of the 40% of coaches who've got him, you may as well cut your losses. Speaking of cutting your losses, the last bloke on the list is Tyrese Maxey. Following his massive, huge 37-point game, Maxi hasn't gone over 16 in the last five, including a goose egg last time out against Boston. So he's very quickly come back down to earth after that huge performance. And you can see it was kind of fueled by the Sixers having a lot of players out with COVID. Granted, he has scored, you know, 12, 15, 16 odd points in the last three or four games. So he's not a scrub by any means. But again, like I said a little bit with DiVincenzo, you can probably afford to find someone on your waiver wire with a bit more upside. Shake Milton has really started to ball out off the bench for the Sixers, and as soon as Steph, uh, Seth Curry rather comes back, I can only see Maxi having an even slighter role for the Sixers. Could be proved wrong, but not my cup of tea right now. Lastly, I did mention Karis Levert a little bit when I was talking about the Pacers. Given he has this mass on his kidney, if you don't have an IR spot or an injury reserve spot in your league, it's a bit risky, but I think you can go ahead and afford to drop Karis LeVert. You might want to wait another week or two in case Indiana announces something, but at the moment, if you're not able to add another contributing player to your bench, it could really hurt your fantasy chances of making the playoffs. So, the stars align. Hopefully, he can, able, he can make a return and come back for a final few games and maybe have an impact in the playoffs for the Pacers. But from a fantasy perspective, unless you can stash him on your bench and you don't have too many injuries on your roster... Might be wise to let him go. All right, quickly talking about a couple of candidates who you should be watching. These guys don't have massive ownerships, but for better or worse, I think it's still worth keeping an eye on them. First one is Emmanuel Quickly from the New York Knicks. He has been playing a supporting role to Alfred Payton off the bench as their point guard. And in the last four games, he's scored in double digits and starting to turn a couple of heads. He's only sitting in 18% of teams at the moment and had a pretty impressive 23-point game against the Cavs a couple of matches ago, but it'll be interesting to see how that mix works out with Alfred Payton and quickly. In one or two of these games, we've seen, uh, what's his name, Thibodeau. I was going to say Dwayne Casey, but that's not right. We've seen Thibodeau go- refer to choose quickly, not in closing lineups, but for more minutes than Payton, which I think, again, Alfred Payton's also a great fantasy prospect. So unless he kind of has his numbers drop a little bit and quickly enters the starting lineup, which isn't impossible, then I don't know if he's worth stashing right away, but keep an eye on him, because if quickly starts to ball out and uh, Thibodeau rewards him with more minutes, then he's definitely worth adding. A big man that you might want to consider sitting in just 6% of teams right now is Rob Williams, or Time Lord, from uh, the Boston Celtics. He is in a bit of a loaded front court there in Brooklyn, uh, in Boston, so I don't really know if he's going to get enough minutes to matter from a fantasy perspective, but similar to DeAndre Jordan, his main advantage comes in his astronomically high field goal percentage. I think his block numbers are intriguing and he gets a couple of boards, but he tends to fluctuate a little bit in performance. He's a young dude, a young big man. We can't expect too much consistency, but he was averaging around 16 minutes through the eight games he was playing before when he went out with COVID protocols. So didn't actually play against Philly at all. He was free to return to the court, but didn't see a single minute, which uh, made me picking him up uh, probably a dumb decision, but he didn't come here to listen to my fantasy team. Uh, Rob Williams is definitely worth keeping your eye on. If he starts to shine or there's another injury to Thompson or Tice or Grant Williams or someone like that, 
and the door opens for Williams to step up and have more minutes and have more production, then I definitely like the looks of Time Lord. Last one is Josh Richardson from the Mavs, sitting in about 50% of leagues, but he's missed six straight contests due to COVID protocols, but hasn't really lit the world on fire before that. Depending on what leagues you play in or what uh, system you score, what scoring system you use, he might not be worth instantly adding when he returns, but I'd rate Josh Richardson as a player. I mean, I'm a bit biased. I think I've had him in two of the last three years while he was a sixer and then... I can't remember where he was before that, but with a Dallas Mavericks, he could quite easily step into a role that kind of Tim Hardaway has carved out for himself. If you've got Luca, a couple of great shooters, he's a good defender as well. And then I can see Richardson really excelling in the Mavericks system. He hasn't so far. He's only averaging about 14 points on the year, but I expect those numbers to go north and to increase when he does return to the court. So... Again, if you're able and you've got the roster flexibility to stash him now, his return does seem pretty imminent. I don't think he's going to play the last game of their road trip, um, which is Friday from memory. I think they got the Spurs. So you might want to look at adding him early next week, but his time is coming. So don't make sure you don't miss out on Josh Richardson. Closing with a little bit of NFL talk, like I said, I'm not going to spend too long here because... There's not a lot to talk about from a fantasy perspective. I will ramp up a bit of production when the draft gets closer, looking at some of the prospects in the NFL that are worth drafting next year, and I'll do a couple of other bits and pieces. But today, I really just want to focus on the two big conference championship games. So if you do play daily fantasy, my pick of the players this week is Josh Allen. He is primed and ready for a massive blowout game. Now, he's probably tied with uh, Paddy Mahomes for second in the MVP this year. Aaron Rodgers is probably going to run away with the award, but Josh Allen has taken a massive step up in his game this year, and obviously that's a big reason why the Bills are still in the playoffs. He hasn't scored a rushing touchdown yet this playoffs, Josh Allen, so I'm expecting him to run in and at least throw for two, maybe three touchdowns. They're going to have to put points on the board if they want to outscore the Chiefs. They've already played them at one point this year and lost to them, but... Allen, he looked all right in that game. He wasn't super successful, but I wouldn't be surprised if this time we saw Josh Allen use his feet to get into the end zone. Oh, my apologies. He did have a touchdown against the Colts in round one, but regardless, I still think that this will be Allen's best performance of the playoffs so far, and he'll drag the Bills back into the postseason. I'm picking Buffalo to upset the Kansas City Chiefs. I haven't really loved the way that Kansas City's gone about their business for the last probably month or so. I know that both teams are riding winning streaks and technically even though they lost with Patrick Mahomes out. I don't count that game as a one that matters. So the Chiefs versus the Bills is a massive, massive matchup in the AFC. And Paddy Mahomes and the Chiefs will probably get a lot of the popular picks, and they're the sexy team that loves to score lots, and they're exciting to watch. Whereas Buffalo, arguably, is just as potent on offense. So I'm predicting a massive game out of Josh Allen. Probably going to have a cheeky wager on him to uh, score a rushing touchdown now as well, but... I think that the Bills are going to do it. I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, if Kansas City came out and dropped 40 points and moved the back-to-back Super Bowls, but I think the stars are aligning for Buffalo. In the NFC, we're going to get the Green Bay Packers going up against Tampa Bay. Huge matchup for both Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's legacy. This is Tom Brady's 14th conference championship game in his 19 or 20 years in the NFL, which is just ridiculous to consider twice as many as any other quarterback has ever played in so he will definitely be gunning for his 10th Super Bowl match he's six and three in nine appearances with New England and would love to drag 
the Tampa Bay Bucks to the Super Bowl, especially considering this year it's being played in Tampa. But I'm siding with the Packers. I'm siding with the MVP in Aaron Rodgers. I think this is going to be a really close contest. It's almost a pick em. I can't really side with either side passionately, but I think that Aaron Rodgers has looked like a different type of Aaron Rodgers this season, which is saying something. He's thrown the most touchdowns in a single season for his career. He only threw five interceptions for the entire season. He made a Super Bowl 10 years ago, so he'll definitely be eager to get back to the big dance in what is probably one of his final NFL seasons. He's been in the league, oh God, he's 37, I think, from memory now, 38. So Aaron Rodgers is no spring chicken, so he'll want to make the most of this opportunity. Green Bay lost the conference championship last year to San Fran. I think this year, playing the game at Lambeau Field is where they get their revenge. So my pick at the moment is for the Packers and Bills to get the job done. The Bills, obviously being outsiders against Kansas City, have a plus three handicap at the moment, and the Packers are expected to win by three. So I'll probably pick both those teams to win. Again, throwing in there a Josh Allen uh, rushing touchdown. Um, And let's see, Aaron Rodgers, I reckon he'll hook up for two touchdowns with Devontae Adams. There you go, Fantasy Friday in the books, the first one for 2021. Like I said, this is going to be a regular occurrence each week. There'll be some weeks, obviously, where there might be a little bit of lean stuff to talk about from an NBA perspective, and there'll be more fantasy footy stuff, but I'll try and keep basketball, football, AFL, that is, and NFL as the uh, three main calling cards for these episodes. Make sure, if you haven't already given the uh, JLo podcast a listen, that you dive into that. He and I had a massive chat about the East and West uh, standings and kind of some relevant teams from there, and then talk a little bit about AFL Fantasy ourselves. I was going to try and squeeze in the Dangerfield and Forwards mix, but this episode's already dragged out to nearly 30 minutes, so I'll cover that next week. If you want a little bit of insight on Paddy Dangerfield, I did write about him for the Dream Team Talk Boys from an AFL Fantasy perspective, so you can check that out on their site. And the next piece I've got about a week from today, yeah, next Friday, I'll be dropping an article on Max Gorn. So make sure you check that one out. Make sure you stay glued to sportsbyfry.com for more articles. I did an NBA All-Star one, and then I've got another one kind of in the works for some AFL stuff and the Golden State Warriors. But cheers for listening to this episode. Till next time, peace. Peace.